Welcome to Metro Health's Prescription for Hope. I'm John Campanelli. We're now in the seventh month of the coronavirus pandemic. And if we take a step back, we can see that never before in our lifetimes has a crisis affected every person, every family, every street, town, school, church, and business in America. That's quite a wallop. And we should congratulate ourselves for getting through this first six months. We should also recognize what COVID has done to us. Not just the physical virus itself, but the effects of it. The fear, the grief, the economic damage, the political divide, the racial awakening, the isolation, and so much more. There really is only one word that describes what this virus has created in all of us, individually and as a community. Trauma. We need to recognize that we have all been traumatized. We need to identify it, name it, talk about it, and humanize it. Then, in the months and years ahead, we can start to heal. Katie Kurtz recently came down to the studio to help us do just that and to answer some questions. But first, she had a question for me. What has been one thing in COVID that you never want to eat, do, or see again? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, Give me a second to think about this. I was first going to say my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Industrial grade one-ply toilet paper. Yeah. 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 How about you? Um, I would be okay if I never heard the phrase in this together again. You mean the new normal? Or like, let's just times? be kind. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm past it. Like kindness is baseline. I, I closed each one of these episodes with be kind. So Well, that's great. I mean, we need reminders. Um but yeah. Well, why don't you start by just introducing yourself? Sure. So I'm Katie Kurtz. I'm the uh, resilience educator and consultant for the Center for Health Resilience, which houses our Trauma Recovery Services Center. And we lead research, education, and training um, around trauma, recovery, and resilience for Metro Health, both in um, healthcare systems and the community at large. And when people hear the word trauma, they think of like getting hit by a car, uh, falling out of a tree, a traumatic injury. But trauma is more, right? Yeah. So often we as humans, um, because we're conditioned by our humanity, to always think of things really black or white, either or. Um, but unfortunately, that either or thinking um, often causes re-traumatization or dehumanization. And so when we think about trauma and resilience, because they're sort of paired together, we have to um, delineate them and really have to think of them as non-binary. They're not either or. It's very nuanced. It's very complex. Um, Yes, car accidents, natural disasters are traumatic. There's a whole host of different um, forms of trauma. Uh, It's very complex. It's very dynamic. Um, It's ancestral. There's just all these different layers and complexities to it. So it's so, as humans, we so want to put it in a box. We so want to have a list of you know, five things we can do or, or, you know, 10 things that define. And we have those things. However, we also have to allow for the complexity and nuance of trauma and resilience to really understand um, the fullness of it so that we can fully address it. Is there an easy, I know you just talked about a bunch of complexities. Is there an easy definition of trauma? 
Yeah. So, you know, we have lots of definitions from the CDC and SAMHSA. Uh, and when we think of trauma, it's a acute or chronic event uh, or series of events or chronic or acute stressors that an individual can can incur um, a group, a community, a collective trauma, which we'll talk about today, um, or even systemically or vicariously. So I always use this example, and it's really basic, um, and not to minimize, but just to help gain um, a baseline understanding of trauma. If we if we if we lined up uh, three or four people and they all saw the same car accident. One person may immediately react with a very visceral physical reaction, maybe crying or becoming really frantic or uh, emotional. Uh, The second person may not uh, respond at all. They may be in shock. They may just shut down. The third person may immediately go help and get into action. And the fourth person just may not may walk away with just that's just another thing that happened. So when we think about COVID as collective trauma, uh, we're all going to have, uh, you know, this is an unprecedented time. Not one person is not uh, impacted by COVID. However, it's very important that we understand that each of us individually and collectively in, in different groups and communities are experiences, experiencing this in very different ways. So I think it's really imperative for us to name COVID as collective trauma. Uh, And when I say collective trauma, I mean for the first time ever, globally, we're collectively experiencing a infectious disease that has, has touched every community in some way. In our country alone, it's a collective trauma because we are collectively experiencing COVID and we experienced it in a very rapid way. When March came, we collectively, in a very uh, quick response way, um, identified this as an infectious disease. And then most states went into um, a lockdown of some kind. And we were told uh, by leaders that we needed to start practicing um, sheltering in place. We needed to practice social distancing. We needed to start wearing masks. Um, And there was a growing um, level, high level of uncertainty that comes with anxiety and stress of the unknown. And so, and then perpetuated by media because that's all we had. Um, and we continue to have because of uh, the need for um, social distancing. And so because of that, that really um, profound immediacy of, of addressing um, the the virus, that is a collective trauma because it rocked our individual, our our family unit, our community unit, our system unit. It, it really rocked our security, our safety and stability. And that's trauma. Now, we have COVID as that collective trauma. But then whatever trauma you had prior to that, so whatever your own personal lived experiences, now you have COVID on top of it. Then we have additional um, 
additional traumas that have occurred um, or have been raised to awareness during this time. So looking at racial trauma um, and systemic structural racism um, as trauma during this time and it being triggered by the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. Um, and then this collective awakening of many white Americans to this collective um, racial trauma. And then we have political unrest. Uh, we have economic uncertainty. Um, and then grief and loss. So it's compounded. And bouncing back, I, I, I say bounce back, but dealing with trauma and healing, that is part of what you call resilience, correct? Or can Absolutely. you explain a little so bit So it's a that? part of it, right? It's, it's a facet of resilience. Um, when we think about experiencing trauma, whatever form of trauma it is. So again, uh, bringing us kind of that baseline Trauma can happen to an individual. It can happen to – so an individual, for example, um, you know, in the clinical world, we label trauma sometimes as like big T trauma or little t trauma. Uh, big T trauma being physical or sexual abuse, um, a, an accident of any kind, a natural disaster, um, overt violence. It's usually those overt kind of traumas. Little t traumas are more insidious, emotional abuse, um, neglect, grief. Uh, it can also look like when we think of workplace, um, in the workplace, it can look like gaslighting, microaggressions, um, inadequate staffing, things like that that can create chronic stressors over time that build up as trauma. Um, I I don't always like to use the terms big T and little t trauma because I don't I believe trauma is trauma and I don't want to create hierarchies or to minimize people's experiences. However, you know, in the clinical world, we have that to really differentiate for diagnostic purposes. Um, and it is important when we're helping people through and identifying healing modalities um, and treatment and recovery for trauma. Resilience is a part of that, but it's also um, flipping the script with trauma. So when we think about resilience, we think of that bounce back. Back, right? That buoyancy, which yes, that's true. Like trauma, resilience is also non-binary. It's also complex and nuanced. So we often think of risk factors and protective factors with folks who've experienced trauma and their level of resilience. So maybe if they have um, children having an, a supportive adult growing up, that is a protective factor for their level of resilience as they as they age. But when we think collectively about our own resilience, it's really about being able to build our capacity and resource ourselves for sustainability. So it's going beyond, you know, traditional self-care uh, and really thinking about how we can build our capacity to sustain additional stressors and traumas. Um, but resilience is really compassion. Resilience is relational and it's connection-based. So in order to build resilience, um, where we think of trauma thrives in isolation um, and that isolated, um, lonely area, um, and that's where trauma thrives, if you flip the script, resilience thrives in compassion, conscious connection, relation. So being able to create connection with ourselves, being able to regulate our nervous systems, create that connection internally, and then creating that bridge externally with others. So connection like this, um, being able to share our lived experiences, to know that we aren't alone, that we're validated, and that we're not broken. We have the capacity to heal. talked about self-care. Can you talk about that when we, you know, we find ourselves yelling at our kids when we never would have before, 
cutting somebody off in traffic or drinking a bottle of cheap wine or something. What do we do to, to uh, recognize it in ourselves and, and do some of this unloading and caring for ourselves? So we, uh, we traditionally, traditional self-care, what I call it, is, is typically based on a model of four pillars, right? Um, you know, physical self-care, emotional self-care, mental self-care, and spiritual self-care. It's a pretty basic model, um, and it's great, and I'm not speaking against it. So when we think of self-care, we often are told, you know, eat right, sleep better, move your body, um, which are all really important things. I would like to note that's literally how we survive as humans. So, like, we should be doing those things anyways. Um, and to label it self-care, I think, is a little a little funny because, like, it's, it's literally survival. We can experience, you know, Netflix or a good bottle of, of wine if that's what you imbibe in or a good meal and just allow that to be fun or delight or joy without labeling it necessarily as self-care. Um, here's where it gets a little bit of a tipping edge is when we become overwhelmed or stressed and we turn to that bottle of wine or we turn to ice cream or we turn to Netflix, are we actually caring, nourishing and nurturing ourselves or are we numbing, dissociating, and and kind of avoiding the actual feeling um, that's present? Uh, and I would, um, just personally speaking, I would bet that it's more of the dissociating and numbing. So if I get really frustrated with my kids, which I don't have, but if I were a parent, I got really frustrated with my kids, which is normal, or, um, you know, frustrated while I'm driving, Um True self-care would be being able to pause, and this is also resilience in action, pausing in the moment, taking a deep breath, um, feeling, asking myself, like, what am I feeling right now? And where in my body am I feeling it? Anger is a secondary emotion. Uh, it's a really, anger is a really great emotion because it informs us. It tells us what's underneath it. And so being able to ask, tune in and ask ourselves that and identify we're able to really uproot it and then maybe sit with that a little bit and figure out how to work through that in a way that we're not constantly avoiding or numbing. You know, um, this podcast is called Prescription for Hope. Uh, so what is your hope with COVID? You know, I, I think my hope with COVID is already, uh, I've, I saw it from the moment it started, that we as humans are naturally resilient. Some of us have a little more support or infrastructure to support us in our resilience than others. But baseline, we all have the capacity for resilience. And I saw just in my own community uh, people coming together to to connect and to see connection be so centered right now throughout COVID. And as a connector and somebody who values connection, and personally, I feel connection is the center of everything, um, to see it being raised up as such an importance gives me a lot of hope. Um, I think our collective awakening gives me a lot of hope, not just awakening to how, you know, the way we work isn't working, um, how there's new ways of working that could be implemented, uh, that there's new ways of leading that we're collectively waking up to systemic traumas, um, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement. That gives me a lot of hope. Um, it's not perfect. We're not, we have a long, long way to go, but it gives me hope that we are finally in rooms and having conversations about it. 
Um, It gives me a lot of hope that we're actually naming and saying trauma out loud. I'm having more conversations about trauma in all the corners of my life than I never had. And the more we put stigma onto something, the more we isolate it. So if we continue to do that with trauma, we're just continuing to isolate it and we're continuing to re-traumatize trauma, right? So bringing it out and naming it and talking about it, even just like this, gives me hope uh, because the more we can talk about it, the more we're, we're humanizing it. I'm never one to dismiss the hardness of things, but we're cracking things. And I was at Leonard Cohen that said, like, you know, I'm going to botch this completely. But like the more cracks you have, the more the light comes through. So there is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I totally botched that quote. It's something, it's a wonderful line of some song he sang, but I always think about that. The more, you know, we're cracking a lot open right now in these last six months. um, And those cracks hurt and they're hard, but also we're letting light come in and we're finding, um, we're becoming more aware and conscious. Thank you for coming and being so eloquent. Of course. Thank you for having me. Hey, so you, you, you started by asking, what, what was it, one thing? or food that you will want to never see again. But what has, like, what's one thing or one food or one something that you experienced because of COVID that you're going to continue to enjoy because of the pandemic? Oh, just taking in the simplest of things. Just the fact that I can walk out into the grass and feel blades between my toes, I think I would never take the time to even bother with that, right? Because it's like on the go, on the go. But or just being able to go outside for a walk, um, I didn't do that before. I was really ingrained in the hustle and the grind. And now I really honor rest in all its forms. And I encourage other people in my life to rest in all its forms because um, that's how we build our capacity for sustainability. Thanks so much for listening. Prescription for Hope will be back soon with new episodes. They won't all be focused on COVID. Believe me, we're just as tired as you. And there are other stories to tell. Please make sure to subscribe to Prescription for Hope on your favorite podcast app so you'll get those new episodes the minute they're released. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep washing those hands, keep wearing those masks, and please, Be kind. Be nice to each other.